for the next uh, few weeks um, into mid-October, we're going to be doing a, a series uh, called God Matters, and today we're talking about Jesus Matters. And we can maybe ask, uh, to whom does Jesus matter? And there's kind of a historical way to look at this a little bit. The, the modern way of, of asking this question about who does Jesus matter to is to ask the question or, or to approach it in such a way as that I'm going to tell you how much Jesus should matter to you or in what way Jesus should matter to you. Christendom, sort of the, the, the reign of the church or the era of the church, which I think we're now pretty much beyond or on our way to moving beyond in this Western culture. Christendom used to try to say, Jesus matters to you, and you need to believe in Jesus. Our society doesn't say that anymore, right? We know that. Now, I could approach it differently and say, well, let me this morning tell you how much Jesus matters to me. And that would be maybe a more postmodern approach, to tell you my story of relating to Jesus. And if you related to my story of how Jesus matters to me, then maybe you would discover that Jesus could also matter to you. You would have your own personal story. That's maybe the more postmodern approach, and it might make some of us feel a lot more comfortable to approach things that way, rather than someone telling us what we should or shouldn't do. But I think both of these approaches are flawed, because they both focus on the self. The first is really individualistic, isn't it? And paternalistic as well. I'm going to tell you what you should believe. It's focused on you as an individual and how much or how Jesus matters to you. But the second approach is maybe hyper-individualistic because I, I'm going to tell you how much Jesus matters to me so that you can then decide whether Jesus might matter to you. We're still just focused on ourselves. I can ask you if Jesus matters to you, or I can tell you about Jesus mattering to me, but the truth is that Jesus matters, period. See, when we start to try to personalize or over-personalize or over-individualize this question or the question of Jesus, we start to lose that Jesus just matters universally and globally and for everything. I mean... What if I asked you this? Did Martin Luther King Jr. matter? Yes. Of course he did. Well, asking the question, does he matter to me? Well, yes. Uh, you know, uh, effective culture, and I'm in culture, so. But did he matter? Absolutely. Does Stephen Harper matter? Yes. And some might think, yes. And some might think, yes. You know, like, but he matters, doesn't he? Right? Do politicians, world leaders, do they matter? Absolutely they matter. And you know, when I was in high school, why did I have to study Shakespeare in high school? Because he mattered, right? You've to, you got to study Shakespeare if you're going to understand a whole bunch of other English literature. And then in university, I, well, why do I have to study Chaucer? I mean, now it's getting worse. But, but he mattered too. And music is the same thing. Uh, do any of you know the song uh, American Tune? Has anyone heard of this song? 
American team. It's not particularly popular. Um, Kurt Elling is a jazz musician who recorded American Tune in 2012. Um, I don't know if anybody knows Kurt Elling. Anybody, a couple of people have heard of Kurt Elling. Anybody heard of Ann Wilson? Anybody heard of the band Heart? Yes. Yes, Ann Wilson was in the band Heart. Okay? And she went off on her own and recorded an album in 2007. She recorded American Tune. Um, Gretchen Peters, if anybody knows Gretchen Peters, um, she recorded American Tune in 2004. Has anyone heard of Willie Nelson? Now, if he owned American Tune in 1993, but American Tune was written in 1973 by Paul Simon and Simon Garfunkel sung it, but they just stole the tune from Bach, from the St. Matthew Passion that was written in 1727. Now, I could have started and asked you, does Johann Sebastian Bach matter? And some of you might have said, well, I don't care. But he sure mattered to Simon and Garfunkel. And then he mattered to Willie Nelson and to whoever else, and to all of this influence of music. And you can find it in rock and pop and everything that people are listening to today. Right? Those are questions of do they matter in sort of a global sense. And we sometimes over-individualize Jesus to say, well, I only care if Jesus matters to me, when actually Jesus mattered in a way bigger sense than that. See, one of the problems is most of the time, I am the center of my spiritual life. And what we need to do is shift because things start to change when God is the center of our spiritual lives. Our theology need to, needs to begin with God that God acted in the past, that God acts in the present, and God will act in the future. And you know what God does? God draws us into his spiritual life. So it isn't about whether we have a great spiritual life or anything like that, or whether we have God as part of our lives. You'll hear people say, that, well, I've got God as part of my life, God's an important part of my life, or whether Jesus is a part of my life. Rather, it is that God has a life, and he wishes to draw us into his life. I mean, how much better is that? And God reveals his amazing life in all kinds of ways. He uses all kinds of methods for drawing us in. Uh, there are tons of images and metaphors that we can, that we can look at and, and wonder about. But he also had prophets who came to explain it. God had a law that was meant to teach us how to live in order to be part of the life that he was offering. We have ancient stories about faithful people and sometimes not so faithful people. And these stories were preserved to show us what it might look like and what it might not look like to live in God's life. But all along through all of these things that God showed us and revealed to us, God had an even greater plan. A plan where his life, his very being would be on display and where anyone would have the opportunity to be gathered in. It's more than just for me or for you as individuals. Ephesians, this passage that we read, it talks about all things being gathered up in him, in Christ. Not just me and you. All things. From the beginning, God had this plan that he would bring about in the fullness of time, Ephesians says. The plan is bigger than any one of us. It encompasses everything. But at the same time, God 
has placed us right within it, adopted children, brothers and sisters alongside his one and only son, Jesus Christ. So while we're not central, we're, we're pretty close to the center of things. thing is, we often put things the wrong way around. What we do is we have our plans and our lives, and then maybe God will fit into them, or maybe not. And we need reminding that God has the ultimate plan and that we have the joy of being drawn into it. We're reminded in Ephesians that God chose us from the beginning to be his adopted children. This is what verse 5 says. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure, the Greek word for that, can uh, be translated as delight as well. And I, I kind of like that way of thinking about it. And I think sometimes we get hung up on this idea of God's will, because God's will is sort of this big thing, and uh, we're not sure what it is. And I like us to think of it as choice. Okay? God chooses. It, I, I think in this passage we need to picture God, and, and sort of picture God, you know, he's, from the beginning, devising this idea. And as he's got this idea, he's delighting in it. Oh, this is going to be so great. You know, that, that's what he's doing in the beginning of time. He's thinking about us. And then in Jesus, when the fullness of time, when the time is right, Jesus is sent, and God pulls off his plan. He's done it. And he delights again. I think we maybe need a, a way to, to relate to that. Have some of you have probably seen the movie Field of Dreams? It's, an, it's, a, it's from 1989. Anyone seen that movie? 1989. Okay. So in Field of Dreams, there's uh, a farmer, Ray, and he's uh, he farms corn in Iowa, and uh, he's out wandering in his cornfield one day, and he hears a voice that says, "If you build it, he will come." And Ray doesn't really know what that's about, um, but thinks he's going crazy because no one else hears the voice. Um, but he somehow gets this idea or this picture that what the voice is trying to get him to build is a baseball field in the middle of this cornfield. So he mows down all his corn and builds a baseball field. Everybody thinks he's nuts. And, uh, and kind of the movie goes from there. And it turns out that it's probably talking about, he will come, is probably talking about Ray's dad. He thought it might have been talking about Joe Jackson, a uh, famous baseball player, because Joe Jackson, once he built the field, Joe Jackson shows up in the field, like the ghost of Joe Jackson shows up, and that he brings a bunch of other uh, baseball players and uh, from heaven, I suppose, or wherever, and they start playing baseball in his field, and they're from like the 1920s. They're all long, long dead and gone. And uh, so he's watching these guys play baseball, unbelievable. And he ends up going on this journey. And at one point in the movie, uh, Ray reveals that his dad was trying to get into Major League Baseball. He was trying to become a professional baseball player, but he didn't make it. And when he didn't make it, he tried to make Ray become a professional baseball player. And Ray says, 
by age 10, playing baseball was like eating vegetables or taking out the garbage. In other words, it was one more chore that he had to do. And by age 14, he started to refuse to even play catch with his father. By age 17, he left home, and he never saw his father again. But he came home for the funeral. Now, at the very, very end of the movie, so now I'm going to ruin the whole movie for all of you who haven't seen it, um, he hears the voice again, and he hears, ease his pain, is what he hears. And uh, a new baseball player shows up, and it's his dad. And he goes and plays catch with his dad. And he ends up asking uh, Joe Jackson, I think, um, ease his pain. That's, he's talking about my dad's pain, right? And he says, no, yours. Now, this analogy doesn't really work when we start to think of God as, as, as uh, uh, Ray's father pushing him into a career that he doesn't want to do. I mean, that's not what God is doing. But where the, the analogy does work, I think, is at the image at the end. That all the dad and the son really want, both of them, is each other. They really want to just play catch together. And I think that's what it's like with God. What God has chosen for you is for you to be his child. And our perception is sometimes of a God that's actually like Ray's father at the beginning, trying to make him do stuff. And actually, God is like Ray's father at the end, just wanting to the son. Like Ray, though, I think our perception of God is, is kind of warped, and so we start to, in our life, push the Father away. And God sent his Son to bring us to himself, to draw us into the life that he's prepared for us. Now, the big difference between God, the Father, and Ray's Father is that God is God. And God knows what is good and beautiful and right better than we do. So even when God asks us to do things, we ought to do them. Because he knows better than us. And everything that God is directing us to do is actually to try to get us to be drawn into this life that he has for us. So we need to allow ourselves to be caught up in God's life rather than trying to figure out, well, do I have enough time to fit God into my life? And one of the, the big problems of our way of understanding Jesus in all of this is that we tend to understand him solely on the basis of what he can do for me. We relate to him as Savior or as personal Savior only. And it's true, Jesus is the Savior. But when that's our only understanding of Jesus, we start to use him. See, when we... When we feel we need saving from something, or we feel we're in some kind of trouble, then we'll go to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. And what we do is we stop treating Jesus as a person and instead treat him like some kind of spiritual tool, only as a way to get something that we feel we want or need. So while Jesus does satisfy our true spiritual needs, he actually does so much more than that. See, we're tempted to simplify our theology and just say, well, Jesus, uh, Jesus is my friend, and that's it. Or Jesus is my savior, and that's it. Particularly, we want to simplify our theology of Jesus, because understanding the cross and the resurrection, in the end, is not easy. So let's try to make it easy. That's what we do. 
Did you pay attention to the reading of Ephesians, and could you tell me right now what that reading is about? It was not simple theology in that reading. It's probably because that part of Ephesians is actually a lot more like poetry than it is like theology, where images get piled up. And to try to dissect it and try to grasp it all is going to make your mind boggle. It's a lot more like poetry. It's more like a work of art that's praising God for who he is and what he's done in Christ than it is like uh, an airtight theological treatise. Now, if we do want to try to simplify our understanding of Jesus, I think a better simplification would be to say Jesus is Lord. Bruxy Cavey, who's the pastor of the Meeting House, um, that's in the Toronto area, he calls this the gospel in three words. Jesus is Lord. See, because if he's Lord, he's also Savior. Because as Lord, as the one who is Lord of everything, he has control of all things, and it's his choice to save us. We get saved even with Jesus as Lord. And with Jesus as Lord, he matters in all sense of the word mattering. Jesus matters to all things, and he matters to, to even just our individual lives. Jesus as my Lord means I live my life subject to him. It means that I am drawn into his life, and I live in a certain kind of way. Jesus as Lord means that I start to be changed because of him. But if Jesus is only Savior to me, well, I can get away with him not being Lord. See, I can stay as my own Lord, right? I, I, can, I can stay in control of my own life, and Jesus can just rescue me when I need him. And I think we really like the idea of having control over our own lives. But when we do that, what we do is we're making God into something less than God. Jesus is the one true Lord. And when we claim him as Lord, it puts Jesus in his rightful place as over everything, even our own lives. Now, the kind of Lord that Jesus really is, uh, that, that really matters. Because he's a Lord and a king who serves. One who gave himself up, one who died to set us free. One who lavishes his grace upon us by redeeming us from a life away from God into a life with God. He's the one who makes us holy and blameless in God's sight even though we are far from it in reality. He's the one who makes it possible for us to be adopted as children of the Most High. Let's listen to this reading again from Ephesians. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but kind of the, the main bulk of it. Just think about what this says about Jesus and who he is, not just for you as an individual or for me, but for all things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, 
He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen.